This morning we're going to look at God's wisdom. We need God's wisdom, did you know that? What, what is God's wisdom? We throw that phrase around. Wisdom from the Christian perspective is basically seeing things as God sees them. What is marriage supposed to be? Well, the world has one idea. God has another. How are you to handle finances and money? The world has one idea. God has another. How are you to live your life and your profession? The world has one idea. God has another. For those who want biblical God-honoring wisdom, we have to go to the text of God's holy word and hear God's mind on what God says. We don't expect the world to accept that. We don't expect them to embrace it. We don't expect them to endorse it. As a matter of fact, we expect them to oppose it. But as God's people, when we live our life, the way we handle our money, the way we seek our treasure, whatever that may be, if it doesn't look like the way God says, we are not walking in God's wisdom. Sometimes Christian people struggle to learn how to live life and to manage it. There was a small store owner who was being pressured to sell his store to a large department store who had bought every building around the block except for his. This frustrated man refused to sell, so the big business decided that they would just open their huge store and build right on his property lines. They hired great equipment and all kinds of things to come in and swallow his little building on both sides, still refusing to sell they ran a banner across the front in huge letters that said, Grand Opening. Feeling equally frustrated, this small store owner finally outsmarted the large department store. Below these huge grand opening signs across the front of his small, rinky-dink store, the man put up a small banner that read, Main Entrance. This is the kind of wisdom that we need. We need God's wisdom in the world on how to live. So if we were explaining to our graduates today, and not just graduates, but God's people in general, how should we live? What are two things, or let's just say one thing. What is one thing that I guarantee you, you will struggle with in your life? And here it is. What you seek as the treasure of your heart. I want to assure you, every person under the sound of my voice and in this world is seeking one main thing. What is it? Sometimes it's to please self. Sometimes it's to be a promotion. Sometimes it's other things. But I want to assure you, it's something. Where is your treasure this morning? Maybe it's in the form of money. Maybe it's in the form of position or rank. But you have a treasure that your heart is seeking. What are you going to do with it? God says from his word in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and following, that anyone who listens to the words of Jesus is like a man who builds his house upon a solid rock. And when the rain and the wind came and the storms prevailed, the house was beat upon, but it never shook. But anyone who heard his words and didn't listen to them was like a person who built their house upon sand. And when the wind and the rain drove, the house eroded from its foundation. Do you know what words he shared? Well, let me give you just a few of them this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and following. Hopefully you brought a Bible. If you didn't, I put it on the screen for you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. This could be read like this. Stop laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. Stop it. 
the inclination here was that those people who listened to Jesus were living for only this life. And what he tried to get them to do was not just think about this life, but think about the life beyond. Stop just laying up treasures for yourselves on earth. And here's why. Because you can't take them with you. Notice what happened. Moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Back in this day, there were no dehumidified places. People would try to gather large quantities of clothes, would often subject them to some type of mold, harsh atmosphere, and moths and bugs would eat holes in them. There would also be different types of things that would destroy them, mildew. And if people wanted to hoard themselves treasures, they often lived in mud-type huts. And thieves could go outside and break holes into their house and crawl in through the hole and steal the treasure. Jesus said, if you lay up treasure on this earth, guess what's going to happen to it? It's going to be taken away eventually. You will let go of your treasure. You may think that you hang on to it forever. You will let it go. And the moment you close your breath in this life, everything that you have grabbed with your hands or hoarded with your heart outside of God, you will release. And so Jesus is warning them here that what we hang on to, if it's something that won't last, stop doing it because you're going to let it go. You're going to let it go. Instead, he says... Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But stop laying them up on earth. Lay them up in heaven. Why? Because moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. You want to talk about an assured investment? Invest in eternity. Because it will never be taken away. One place it will be taken away. The other place it will never be taken away. Jesus here is given the best advice ever. Listen to what he says now. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I've thought about this quite a bit. He didn't say where your heart is, your treasure will be. Listen to how he worded this. Where your treasure is, where you're actively pursuing, putting your treasure, that reveals where your heart is at. So take a look at your life. I had to do this this week. You know, it always preaches to me before it preaches to you. Take a look at your life. Where are you laying up your treasure? You know, I was talking to a person one time about giving to the Lord. And this is what they told me. When I take the annual income that I would give to the church, do you realize I could buy a car every year for what I give to the church in church payments? I said, yeah, you probably could. And what's going to happen to that car in 20 years? Let me just ask that question. What will happen to it? Oh, in about five years, you'll be getting rid of that one and you'll be moving on to another one. What happens if you take that money and you invest it in eternity? Guess what? If you do it, and do it not begrudgingly, but if you do it willingly and cheerfully, that investment will go on through eternity. And here's why. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'm convinced when we have more treasure invested in eternity than we do here on this life, it changes the way we live and the way we view things. We are obsessed by things, aren't we? You ever notice how even the Christian's heart is grabbed 
by things. All of us are subject, folks. Don't dare look anywhere else besides in the mirror because it's us. And there is a very revealing thing about the human heart, and that is how we evaluate other people. You know, let's say, for example, we look at someone else and we say, wonder how much education they have. Well, let me ask you a question. How do we value? I mean, what are we putting our value in that person? We're saying if they don't have education, they don't have degrees, they're not what? Valuable. What if we look at them and say, well, what kind of a house do they live in? What kind of a car do they drive? Do they drive a... What are we valuing? Their possessions. What type of a home? Which neighborhood do they live in? What kind of a job do they have? Are they just an employee? Or, I mean, or are they the stuff? What's the stuff? But when we evaluate people on the basis of that and not, what is this person's relationship like with Jesus? You know what? They may not have a lot of money, but I want to tell you something about that person. They have integrity. They have character. They do what they say they're going to do. They are faithful. They are dependable. They are reliable. And I want to be like them. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen to this next phrase. Very interesting. Jesus gives this example now about the heart and the treasure. He changes the a metaphor here from the heart to the eyes. Watch how he does it. The eye is the lamp of the body. Now, you all, just close your eye, okay? Close them. Don't fall asleep. The eye is the lamp of the body. Open it up. All right, now you can see, right? Now, watch what Jesus says. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be what? Full of light. I mean, you open your eyes, you can see. Now, notice what he says. But if your eye is bad... If you close your eyes and you never open them again, guess what happens? Your whole body will be full of darkness. You can't see a thing. You ever tried to walk around like this at night? You can't see a thing. That's why you open your eyes. Now watch what he does. He transfers that from a physical reality to a spiritual truth. Watch closely. If your eye looks out into the world with the concept of laying up treasures in heaven, guess what happens? Your whole body is going to be healthy. But if your eye, look closely in the center of the screen there, if your eye is bad, the interesting thing about that word bad is there are several words that Jesus could have used, but this particular word has the idea in finances of being someone who is hook and crook, who gains wealth and advantage from other people, by, by taking greedy advantage of them. If your eye, let me read it that way, is filled with greed to the point that it'll take advantage of someone else to prosper you, then your whole body will be full of darkness. Have you all ever met a greedy person? You ever met one? In other words, when they look at things, the only thing they're looking at is what they can get as advantage out of this opportunity. Can't enjoy life unless there's a dollar to be made or some type of a advantage. Now, some people call that good business. 
Jesus calls that a bad perspective on life. Now, I'm not talking about people in business here. Please, business people have to make money. Let's use common sense here. When Jesus says don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, he doesn't mean don't try to make any money, don't have a retirement account, don't take care of your family. This, this goes right in line with what Proverbs would say. Be like the ant, store it for tomorrow. But there's a difference for storing up for tomorrow and thinking you're going to live a million years because you can never spend what you have. Huge difference. So when Jesus lays this down, he says people that have a bad eye, a greedy eye, an eye that takes advantage of other people, it, not, it doesn't just affect one thing, it affects their whole outlook on life. And you better hear me. It will. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. You know, that verse makes you shudder because Jesus gives a perspective of the human heart and life that we don't stop and think. What is the one central thing in your life that drives you every day? Is it your job? Is it a position? Is it fame or fortune or recognition? Or is it Jesus? If your eye is bad, how great is the darkness within you? So what does Jesus say? He says you are a slave to one thing or one person. You're either a slave to God or you're a slave to something else. Because no one can serve two masters. This is the terminology of ownership. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. You say, well, I'll try my best. You can't do it. I didn't say that. This is God's message. What you want me to do? Read it in my terminology? You can't do it. Graduates, listen to me. You're going to go out in this life and you're going to meet people who are fighting, scratching, and clawing for the next dime to hoard to themselves. Do not be like them. At the end of your life, Jesus isn't going to line you up with other graduates and look at your bank account and theirs and bestow upon you righteousness because you had more than them. At the end of your life, Jesus isn't going to line your car up with somebody else's car and say, boy, Yours was a whole lot nicer than theirs. Great is your reward. He's not going to do that. Now, this is hard. You know, when I was a kid and you had a bellyache, my grandmother used to bring a saltine cracker and castor oil. Whew. She'd lay the saltine cracker out. and You'd have to hold your nose and take a big drink of castor oil because everything castor oil straightened out. And then you eat a saltine cracker afterward and you'd get the taste out of your mouth. Because it was like drinking 10W30 motor oil. You know, sometimes hearing this is tough. You want to know why? Because Jesus, the creator of the heart, knew your heart. And he knew my heart. And he knows the hearts of man. And this is what he says. You can't serve God and things. You can't do it. You're either going to be devoted to one and despise the other, 
or you're going to be devoted to God alone. Therefore, all this relates together. Therefore, because of that, I tell you, stop being anxious about your life. Translated the same way, stop laying up treasure. Jesus comes now and says, stop worrying about your financial life. Stop it. You want to know why? Because this is what unsaved people do. All they worry about is what they can gain, what they can possess, what they can hoard up, because security, quote-unquote, comes from treasures. You see, here's the concept, and it's a Western concept. If we can hoard up enough, we aren't dependent upon one thing or person, God included, and I've got enough to do me. Well, you know, I don't want to be the bad news bear here, but when I was a kid growing up, they used to say if you got a million dollars, you were set for retirement because you could never spend it all. Now they say that a million dollars won't hardly do you, but just a few years, you need a whole lot more because of all the increase in prices. We call this inflation. Some people call it bailout or whatever you want to call it, but the bottom line is a dollar is just not a dollar anymore. So basically what will happen is your dollar will be worth about a quarter. Now can you imagine hoarding your whole life up thinking if I could ever get the whatever X amount of money, I'm going to have it made. And can you imagine the Federal Reserve coming out tomorrow and slashing the price of the dollar? And all of the things that you've lived for your whole life just come crashing to the ground just like they did back in the 1930s during the Great Depression. And your dollar is worth nothing. Now, let me ask you a question. If you lost it all, if you, if you lost it all, what would you still have that nobody could ever take away from you? That's what you have right now. And that is where you better be putting your focus in your life. Therefore, I tell you, stop being anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body worth more than clothing? Now, Jesus is going to give two illustrations here that's going to explain clothing and food. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, reap, or gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Which? What does worry accomplish in your life, either about money and treasure or about longevity of your life? What does it, what does it gain you? Nothing. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor they spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, the richest king in the world, who dressed himself in silk and gold and every shiny thing that you can imagine, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these, a little old lily. Now, if you've ever went fishing and you go look at a, a lily pad, that's not what he's talking about, but if you look at a lily and the beautiful bloom and all the things on it, Every time I see one of those beautiful flowers, I think about the vanity of man and the glory of God. You know, God puts a seed in the ground and lets a little old flower come up, and it blooms out. And God says that that flower in its bloom 
is more beautiful than the richest man in the world who dresses up in his gold, his rings, and his jewelry. In the eyes of God, that little old flower is arrayed in more beauty. And guess what it did? It just opened up its leaves and received the sun and the rain. And the Heavenly Father took care of it. Now, it still had to be in the ground. It had to be there every day. It had to do what a plant does. What's he saying in our life? Live your life wisely. Work. Go to the ant. If you start getting lazy, old slugger to consider her ways and be wise. She lays up in the summer for the winter. Prepare. The New Testament also tells us that we are to have enough finances in ourselves to take care of our family so that they're not a burden on anybody else. It's not the government's job. Sorry. It's our job to take care of our own family. It's our responsibility. And we're to take care of the needs of others. Those in God's household first, in the church family, if they're in need. And then if we have extra resources, we are to take care of people outside of the church family. And that's God's biblical pattern for living and giving in our life. So he goes on to say, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Notice what he says here, of little faith. What was the concept here? He was talking to a crowd that was worrying about their finances, their life, how long they were going to live, and their riches. And he said, stop it. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Why? Because that's what unsaved people do. That's what Gentiles do. How is a Christian to look any different from somebody from the world? Well, listen closely. They don't go around pantering, whining about things and worrying and complaining. Oh, I don't have any money. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not, never going to make it. I'm going to have to stop. This is what the Gentiles do. Your heavenly Father, look what he says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He didn't say anything about a sports car, lake house, bass boat. He's talking about the necessities of life. Your heavenly Father knows you need these things. And here's the cure to that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, let's talk about this real quick. What are some negative consequences, Jesus says, regarding wealth and worry? Well, here they are. If you seek treasure in this life, you are going to be a slave. It'll enslave you. Jesus said it'll enslave your heart. It'll enslave your mind. It'll enslave your will. Verses 19 through 21, stop laying up treasures. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you lay up treasure on this earth, you are going to be a slave to earthly treasures. What about the mind? Verses 22 and 23. If the eye is good, it will produce light. If the eye is greedy and bad, what's it going to do? It's going to control the mind. And the mind will only think about the next advantage and the next way that you can get one more rung up on the treasure ladder. And it will impact your whole body. Everything you see about life will be about that one thing, about how to get the next gain. That's darkness, Jesus said. Listen to me. 
in life, the world will tell you that's good business. Jesus says personally, that's darkness. Darkness. It'll also impact the will. You cannot serve God and money. Underline that in verse 24. You cannot do it. You know, the text here doesn't say you may not be able to or you'll not be able to balance or you can really give it a try. It says you cannot. Have I pounded on that enough? I don't want you to leave today and think that you can serve both. You can't. You can only do one. Worrying about treasure on earth, number two, will devalue you. In verses 25 through 30, Jesus says, if you spend your life worrying, worrying, and worrying, what's it going to end up in your life? It's going to end up you worrying about futility. I could tell you all kinds of stories here about people who worried about things, worried about money, worried about this, and ended up dying and leaving hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. And I often thought to myself, you know, this is amazing, folks. We hear this all the time, and yet it ends up being so true. People spend their life worrying about what they've got. <laughs> he had it. And many of us have far much more than we deserve and far much more than we need. And so what does Jesus say? There has to be a great balance here, but you've got to serve one or the other. And if you worry about the treasure on earth, it's going to end up devaluing your life. And then, third, worrying about treasure on earth will destroy your testimony. In verses 31 through 33, Jesus has this incredible thing to say. Therefore, do not be anxious, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. So now, listen to his logic. If unsaved people seek after them, and they fret and fret, and a saved person frets and frets, there's no difference. We've lost our testimony. And then number four, the fourth negative consequence of regarding wealth and worry is worrying about treasure on earth will steal your joy. Jesus said in verse 34, and this is a very pointed passage, but notice what he says, Do not be anxious for tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And all God's people said, Amen. You know what? Don't worry about the office tomorrow. Because the office will be there and so will its problems. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let me translate that in Altizer version. There's going to be enough problems coming up today. Enjoy it while you can. And if you get a little bit of a break where you can just enjoy life, listen, slow down. Slow down and enjoy it. Don't be rushing into tomorrow. Enjoy the moment because you don't even know what tomorrow brings. You don't know. There is a story about this miser, and he was getting ready to die. And he called a doctor, a lawyer, and a minister to his deathbed. They say you can't take it with you, he says, but I'm going to try. I have three envelopes with $30,000 cash in each one. And I want each of you to take an envelope. And as they lower my casket in, I want you to throw in the envelopes. Each man 
tossed his envelope as requested, but on the way home, the minister confessed, well, I needed the money for the church, so I took out $10,000, and I only threw in twenty. The doctor said, I too must confess, I'm actually building a clinic. I needed more than you, so I took out 20000 and only threw in ten. but at least I threw in ten. The lawyer said, gentlemen, I am so ashamed of you. A pastor and a doctor, and you didn't do what the man asked you. I threw in a personal check for the whole amount. I don't think we want him as our lawyer, do you? Jesus has a lot to say about wealth. Now, what does he tell us that we should do? What are some positive admonitions on wealth and worry? Well, number one, intentionally invest in eternity. Now, let's look at this phrase really quick because so pointed. Stop laying up treasures on earth, but, contrastive, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now perhaps I should have took a whole sermon and preached a whole sermon on what, what are treasures in heaven. Let me just share a couple, very practical. One treasure in heaven is your giving to God's work. You know, one of the reasons I stay involved in missions is because when you invest the gospel into the lives of other people and they take it, and they multiply that into the lives of other people. And they go out, according to Paul in Philippians chapter 4, when you invest in that ministry, are you listening closely? You reap the harvest, the fruit of that ministry. The Apostle Paul told the Philippian church, I'm not seeking your money. What I really want is for you to invest in my life so that my fruit you can be a sharer and a partaker of when we are evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, a lot of Christians don't understand this. We seek treasures on earth and not treasures in heaven, and when we fail to invest in the gospel ministry, we are robbing ourselves of eternity. You know, pastors should not have to browbeat people to give. We shouldn't have to do that. We should tell people, you know what, when you give to Trinity Community Church, you're not giving to me, you're giving to God. We manage the finance of this church to do outreach in our community, to preach the gospel, to stay here, to open our doors, to have facilities. But it's bigger than we are. We also have a world missions outreach, a local missions outreach, and sometimes people have a wrong concept on this. They say, well, if we can't do it here at home, we're not going to support overseas. Please don't ever think like that. That's a poisonous way to think. We are to go to all ethnicities and nations and preach the gospel. We are to partner with other people that, to go where we can't go. And when you give to missions and missionaries, guess what happens? You take partaking in their ministry and investment. You get treasures in heaven for that. Let me come down here to the practical side. Andrew came up and said, we need some help in VBS. One of the things we need help is digging around these posts out here and pouring concrete in them. Now, me and Brian can do it. We're not above doing that. Andrew can do it. But what he's doing is he's giving everybody an opportunity to come here and get involved and get your hands dirty for those who need to get their hands dirty. Dig that hole out and put some concrete in it. 
sturdy that up so that when the kids come from our community to come to Trinity and hear the gospel and they get saved, guess what? You have part in that. Churches struggle all the time for nursery workers. They struggle for workers in children, workers in this. You know, if you understood the concept of laying up treasures in heaven, we would have to tell people we've got too many workers. Imagine yourself thinking about being in the nursery this morning, and you're sitting there going, oh my goodness, we don't have but two babies, and I could be listening to a sermon or doing something else. I'm trapped back here all by myself, changing dirty diapers. See, this is our human heart, isn't it? But here comes some mother walking in the door who drives by. She says, you know, I saw on your website y'all were doing this, and I wanted to come in here. My soul is so burdened. I've got three kids I'm having to take care of. And by the way, if you haven't taken care of a kid in a while, it is life-changing. Up all hours of the night, on their own schedule. Here she comes walking in the church, and she says, I hope and pray they have a nursery. She looks and sees a sign, and she goes back, and there you are with that smiling face going, hey, how are you? Sign in. Let me have your child. You take that little baby and that lady comes in here. Imagine this now. And she hears the gospel and her life is transformed and she gets saved. And she shares the gospel with her kids because they got saved in this church. And one of their children grows up and becomes a missionary and they lead a hundred people to Jesus. Guess who gets the credit for that? You're, you are part of it, because if she was wrestling three kids and changing three diapers in the chair, she'd never hear the gospel. You know what you did by investing your time? You laid up treasure in heaven. Now let me warn you, let me warn you of this, don't complain. You know, this is why Paul, throughout the book of Philippians, said, stop complaining, stop grumbling, stop complaining. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't complain and tell everybody every work that you do. We, we want human recognition for what we've done. Stop that. That's not God's way either. Jesus says, when you give, make it so secret that the right hand doesn't even know what the left hand does. Because if you go and parade it out and tell people what you gave, there goes your reward. Keep it as secret as you can. When you serve in nursery... Don't tell everybody. Just serve. When you serve in any type of ministry, we don't have to boast about it and tell about it. Be quiet. Why? Listen to what Jesus said. Because your Father will reward you one day for the things you've done in secret. See, something we need to remember about God is He doesn't forget anything that we do for Him. That is laying up treasure in heaven. And the word intentionally invest in eternity, intention means on purpose for a purpose. We are living our life on purpose to serve God's purpose with everything that we do. He owns it all. He has it all. It's all His. And the second thing, seek Jesus first and everything else will align properly. Seek Him first. What does Matthew chapter 6, everybody knows this passage, but do we understand it? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Some people see this phrase here, seek first the kingdom of God. And people will say, well, we know what the kingdom of God is. That means salvation. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. You say, well, wait a minute here. The kingdom of God does not mean salvation. 
The kingdom of God was something that God told back in the Old Testament that was going to happen upon this earth, that Jesus, God himself, would come and he would rule and reign upon this earth. And third heaven would be transferred right down on this earth and the rule of God would fully take place. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think that the kingdom of God is in full operation today? Do you? Please don't say yes. Because if it was, we wouldn't be flying the flag at the White House for Pride Month. Jesus would not raise it up and go out and celebrate it. I assure you of that. He would not be involved in the hooking and the crooking in China, nor would he be involved in the things that are going on in Russia. If the kingdom of God was fully operational today, the nations would be bowing the knee to King Jesus in little old Israel, and Hamas would not be firing rockets there. Seek first the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus came as the king of Israel and came to that nation and said, I am the king. I was going to rule and reign. And when these people were here, right in this same context, he taught them how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. You're a great speaker. And this is what he said. I'll teach you how to pray. Pray this, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. You ready? May your kingdom come and your will be done upon this earth as it is right now in third heaven. May that happen. Did it happen? Just say no. It didn't happen. Now answer this question. Will it happen? Listen real close, friends. Listen real close. As sure as the word of God is true, the feet of Jesus will land on the Mount of Olives one day, and that man will rule as the God-man of eternity as he sets up his throne in, in the land of Israel and begins his earthly reign throughout all the portals of time. As sure as the word of God exists. And what he's saying is, if you will understand that and you will lay up treasures for that, your life in this life is what's going to count for the next. So Christian, don't waste your life laying up treasures on this earth. You lay them up for the future. You're going to let go of everything here, but you'll gain everything there. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now hold on. This is where it gets good. And His righteousness? Let me ask you this question. You with me? This is the most important part. How righteous do you have to be to enter third heaven. How righteous do you have to be to enter third heaven? Well, I wish we were in class. I would have a good time here. But let me go ahead and answer it for you. You have to be as righteous as Jesus Christ himself. And if you're not as righteous as Jesus Christ himself, you will never enter eternity. Never. You say, well, whoop, I am in big trouble. Yep, I was too. Well, what did you do to gain the righteousness of Jesus? I'm glad you asked. You see, God made provision knowing that we are unrighteous to send the righteous Jesus Christ to come and go to a cross to pay the penalty for our sin and die the death that we deserved, and pay the hell that we deserved, so that he could by grace 
and through your trust and faith in Him for eternal life, give you the gift of righteousness that you could never earn. You could never earn it. You know, people struggle with all kinds of things, whether it be intellectual or this or that or practical or moral. Listen to this bottom line thing. You have to be as righteous as Jesus, and the only way you can have it is by placing your trust and faith in his work for you on the cross. And then he becomes your righteousness. You say, well, how do you know that? Because God's word says it. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, God the Father, this great plan that he had, you are in Christ Jesus, that is, the one who became to us wisdom from God. You ready? Righteousness. What does that mean? He became to us righteousness. It means what I just told you. He gave us His righteousness. When you read that little phrase in the epistles, you are in Christ, in Christ, we read over that all the time. We go, yeah, hurry on, get to the next paragraph. No, friends, stop for a minute. When you are in Christ, you have His wisdom. You have the wisdom of God. You have the righteousness of God. You have the sanctification of God. You have the redemption of God. All in the person of Christ. You could never have this on your own. Let me tell you something. You can seek through life for your own wisdom on how to get to God, or if there is a God, you'll come up empty. The only way you're going to find it is in the person of Jesus. He is our wisdom and our righteousness. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and he lays it out even more clear. For our sake, God the Father made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. This is called the great exchange, folks. When you by faith come to the person of Jesus Christ, God, very God, crucified on a cross, buried and rose again, a historical fact that cannot be denied. But when you believe that He did that in your place and you believe on Him for eternal life, the great exchange happens. He takes all of your sin, past, present, and future, and He gives you all of His righteousness. And when God the Father looks at you, He looks at His perfect, righteous Son. And that's what we call the position of the believer in Jesus Christ. It's not about you. It's not about how good you are. It's not about what you do. It's about what has been done for you and where you place your faith. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Those are the two most important things. And all those other things that we think are so important, they'll fall in line. Now let me ask you a question this morning. If you were to stand before God right now, 
and he looked at you and said, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? Would you say, well, I've tried this and I'm this and I'm that? Don't, don't do that. Because you will stand before him one day and you will answer because God's word says every tongue, every tongue will confess. Every mouth will be stopped in Romans and every tongue will confess in Philippians. That'd be a good sermon, wouldn't it? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you can't say that he is your righteousness, you know what you need to do right now, right where you are. You don't even have to walk up an altar. Just say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I sent your spirit working in my life. I want your righteousness. And I believe on you right now for eternal life, the gift of eternal life, because I must have your righteousness. I can't be in your presence without it. And I believe that you did that for me. And if you ask Jesus to do that, he will. He will save your soul. There was a young medical student who had graduated med school with the highest marks and accolades. Fellow students who had graduated as well came over and asked this young man about his future plans. Where are you going to go now that we've earned ourselves a medical salary and degree? When the young man told them his ambition was to be a medical missionary in an de impoverished, deprived area, they retorted to him and said, That's no way to get on it in this world. The young man looked over and said, which world? Where are you laying your treasure? Father, thank you this morning for your word. Challenge and move our heart and may we leave transformed in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray.